What's up? <laughs> now just recording a podcast. What's oh, up with you? Oh, not too much. You know what, though? What? You need a counselor. Thanks. So do you. <laughs> I do need a counselor. You're right. Hello. Welcome to You Need a Counselor. I'm Julie Johnson, and I'm the president and founder of Heart and Solutions. We're a strength-based counseling agency here in Iowa. We are providing inpatient and office mental health therapy, as well as in-home behavioral health counseling, but I'll let Krista talk about that. Uh, we are also offering telehealth services right now uh, and services over the computer. So if you are interested in that and being social distanced, please still give us a call. Let us know because we can still help you. And we're really, really excited because we have one of our own counselors on yeah. the line today. Welcome, Erin. Thank you. I'm happy to be here. Woohoo! Are you joining us from Cedar Rapids right now? I am in the basement of my home. So if you hear dogs <laughs> in the background, I apologize. <laughs> dogs? Oh gosh, I thought you said frogs. Okay. <laughs> if we hear frogs or dogs, we're gonna we're gonna be concerned about the frogs, but we won't be concerned about the dogs. <laughs> Sounds good. <laughs> okay. Uh Krista, you want to introduce yourself too quick? Yeah, I'm Krista. I am the vice president at Heart and Solutions, and I am in charge of the behavioral health program that Julie was talking about. So we work with children ages four up to 18 on different behavioral skills and we go in-home or telehealth like Julie mentioned to work on those skills with the child and their whole family as well. Um, and this is You Need a Counselor. So the mission of our podcast is that we are designed for people curious about counseling but have barriers from, that are keeping them from experiencing the benefits of counseling. Our mission is to share stories about counseling, good, bad, and indifferent, and spread the message that everyone can benefit from mental health and behavioral health counseling services. So we've got Erin Tiemann today, um, and Erin, you're a temporarily licensed mental health counselor here in Iowa, and you work out of our Cedar Rapids office, right? Um, tell us about your specialty. Who do you like working with the most? Um, so I really like working with adults, but especially the um, perinatal period. So expectant moms, pregnancy, postpartum, um, not just moms, dads, family members, that huge transition into parenthood. I'm all about that um, and working with my clients and kind of how to navigate that kind of crazy period of life. Oh my gosh, there's so much in that. I love that you are including the family members too, because like, it's not just mom and dad that go through an entire change of life, right? It's those other family members too, even like aunts and uncles. I'm sometimes surprised at how much that changes the sibling dynamic between adult siblings, um, the way that that changes like family gatherings and the dynamics there. Do you find that in your practice too? Yeah, for sure. And then even like the relationship between mom and her mom, right, that can become a huge um, kind of new thing that we didn't really notice, right? Now that I'm a mom, things are coming up on my relationship with my own mother or in-laws, right? Um, our parents think that they are experts at parenthood, right? And that they may be in some aspects, but when you might stray from their patterns of parenting, that could cause some issues that come up um yeah so definitely yeah that extended family is really important that a lot of people don't think about so if we're talking about you know having adding a baby to a family if we're just talking about that situation people tend to think of that as such a happy situation and such a happy time that like why would you need counseling for that like if i become a grandma like that's great everybody's so happy for me 
why would I need counseling with that? But really, I mean, you're going through such a change. You're seeing your child in a totally different way. You need to learn how to have a relationship with your grown-up child in a totally different way because, I mean, oh my gosh, I see my four-year-old and I'm always going to see her as a four-year-old. <laughs> like, I can't imagine seeing her as a 30-year-old or 35-year-old or 40-year-old um, and watching her have her own child and not still thinking of her as my baby. Right. Mm -hmm. Definitely. Yeah. I know even my mom kind of came to help when I had my daughter and it was more like, you're my baby. I'm going to help you. Right. But then when it's like, I want some independence, I need to try this out on my own. And there was just kind of, that was a weird situation to navigate. And you never, you can't really prepare for something like that. Like you said, Julie, everything's like, oh, baby's happy. This is the best thing ever. Right. And I feel like that's probably a big myth. Yeah, <laughs> that every baby's expected, first of all, and wanted and that it's the most exciting period of your life. And that can definitely be the case, but it can also not be. And then you add in hormones and postpartum things and it can, yeah, definitely yeah. someone, a counselor who's not part of your immediate family, right? To just so you can vent and talk about those things. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. I think when a, when a baby's added to a family, there's such a a greater temptation or kind of set up to for enmeshment within a family. Um, and so that idea of these are entirely new boundaries, right? Like, when am I going to feed my child? And how am I going to feed my child? And when are they going to sleep? And how are they going to sleep? Um, these, these are all boundaries that, you know, as a, as adults, we kind of learn how to set boundaries for ourselves, but now we're learning how to set boundaries for another person as well. That adds a whole nother layer to that family dynamic too. Oh, definitely. And then you add this age of social media, right? You feel like there's so many expectations new parents put on themselves. Mm -hmm. My baby's going to sleep like this and we're going to feed like this and the nursery is going to look so um, perfect for Instagram and things like that. And when that reality isn't the case, um, that can be really difficult too. And we usually, of course, blame ourselves for those high expectations and not meeting them. So clearly something's wrong with me as a mother because I can't reach these certain ideals. Yeah, I, I think that, that that situation really opens itself up so much more to those comparisons because it is, it's our first time ever doing it. So like our first time ice skating might have been when we were 10 or so, right? That's totally different than ice skating for the first time at 30. And so, right. And so it's kind of similar in a way, like when it is our first child, um, we don't have any of our own experiences with our own child to compare it to. And then even when we have our second child, we don't have any experiences with that specific child to kind of compare to. And so then we kind of default to this larger umbrella of, well, every mom <laughs> and every child. Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I just had a client the other day who talked about like, yeah, my first child was so easy and we were doing everything so great. Then my second child came and like, I had no idea what to do. They were so different. And I always tell my clients like, yeah, it's a learning curve, no matter first, third, fourth baby, right? While that baby's learning how to be outside of you, you're learning on how to parent that child as well. That's right. Yeah. I mean, gosh, you talk to moms who even have 10 kids and every single one of them's different. I mean, they, they're all completely different. Um, Krista, you've got, 
you've got 10, 10 kiddos. Yes, gosh, I like, have nine siblings, yeah. <laughs> and you're all completely different. I mean, <laughs> there's, yeah, I mean, it, like Aaron's saying, it, it would be a learning curve every single time. And that's normal, but it doesn't feel normal, right? Like, I think there's also sometimes, um, and tell me if you see this, Aaron, but like, this idea that what should happen is that I should just know what to do. Like instincts should just kick in. And like, if they're not just automatically, here's the answer with this child for this situation, then like, what's wrong with my instincts? Do you guys ever see that? Oh, definitely. I feel like, yeah, it's intuitive, right? Like this is what I'm supposed to do. I, I'm made to be a mom, right? I should know what to do. And then again, with technology, right? Well, okay, I, I can Google this, right? <laughs> but then you have tons of different answers. On a oh, whole yeah. Mm -hmm. Right? And then it's like, well, what's the right answer? Well, I should know what's the right answer. Why can't I make these decisions, right? What does this say about me that I don't know what to do? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And mom's groups too. Oh my gosh. Those mom's groups on Facebook, they're great. Like, they're wonderful for like, hey, this happened with my kid. What have you guys done? done with that like those things are great but you also you post one question you're gonna get 50 different opinions <laughs> mm -hmm. oh yeah definitely and it's not like oh yeah I've tried this or I tried this it's like how dare you try that like what's <laughs> wrong with you right it can be super supportive and also it could also be toxic right uh -huh. setting boundaries with that too yeah absolutely yeah so okay so we talked a little bit about adding a baby to to the family and this also i mean there's so many different ways to add a baby to a family right so i was adopted when i was one and a half years old um 18 months old and that i imagine is also a completely different experience um than some other ways of adding babies to a family. So um, are there any similarities that you see with the different things that people do have to cope with when adding a baby to a family, regardless of the way that that baby is added? And then what are some, some differences that you see there? Yeah, sure. So some similarities is really that transition, right? Your routine is going to change no matter how that baby came to be in your family, in your household. There's, there's changes, um, decisions to be made that you never had to make before, kind of changes in family within your partner too, right? That relationship, that intimacy can change no matter how that baby came, came there. Um, and then, the, yeah, that just feel your feeling of kind of, I should know what I'm doing, right? I'm a parent. Um, and if I can't, if I feel like I'm failing, right, but we're really hard on ourselves for that, right? Because we feel like we should just know what to do, right? Those shoulds and these expectations. Some differences, whether it's adoption or maybe going through fertility treatments, right? So now we're talking about pregnancies and children that are 100% planned, right? Very much wanted, um, gone through a lot to um, get here, right? Like all the stuff that goes into adoption or infertility treatments, everything like that. And then moms who still feel some of that postpartum depression or anxiety, or maybe having trouble bonding with the baby. Then you have that added layer of like, I wanted this so bad, right? I prayed for this so long, or we did all the stuff to get here. And now I'm feeling this way. Like what is going on? And that can um, bring up a lot of feelings of like guilt and shame in new parents when that's the case. Yeah, so I was adopted. 
um, I have not gone through the adoption process on the other side, but I, I was adopted. And then um, my husband and I, we went through four years of infertility and before we had, we got pregnant with my daughter. And I can imagine that in some cases there would be some similarity there um, when the when you then have your child or add your child to your family and it's not the way that you <laughs> imagine that it would be because there is so much like detail work that goes into adding a child in that way. And there's so much to keep up on and there are so many hurdles and hoops to jump through. Um, I know for us with the infertility stuff, what kept us going was this picture of what it was going to be like, right? Like when, when things got really hard and we wanted to give up or when things got really hard and we thought we can't do this, this is never going to happen. And we wanted to give up. What kept us going was that idea. And so that idea of what it was going to be like that idealized idea that I needed in order to keep going, um, just kept getting more and more detailed. I think as I drew from it and drew from it and added to it and built on it. And so I can imagine that um, I know in my situation, like that, that got really, really built up because it had to every struggle, every hurdle, I needed that to be there as kind of a touchstone. And then when we did get pregnant, uh, it, it was not the pregnancy I imagined it would be. Um, and so then it, it's kind of like, okay, I, I felt like I crossed this finish line. Like I felt like, okay, I my goal for so long was get pregnant. So it was like, I crossed this finish line. And then in my head, there was this idea it was going to be easy. And like, it was not easy after that. <laughs> right. And then, and then it was like, okay, I just got to have the baby, right? Like get me to 40 weeks. I just got to have her and she just got to be okay through having her. And then it's like, nope, that's not a finish line. Actually, that's just a whole new starting point. Um, and that can feel so exhausting. Okay. You're pregnant. I got to get through this pregnancy and then labor, right? And then we all kind of stop because <laughs> then we're just going to have the baby and it's all amazing. No one talks about the fourth trimester, right? Mm. That is a concept that surprises so many moms, right? Mm. That first three months after you have that baby can be really difficult and you're doing it on very little sleep. And that is the biggest hormonal drop you will experience in your life is from pregnancy to giving birth. Um, and that can be really hard to um, adjust to, right? Um, and yeah, and then I think a lot of people feel guilty because there's definitely times in that fourth trimester that's like, I kind of wish for my old life back, right? Uh. It's a lot easier, even when they were just, when I was pregnant, like, I could do what I wanted, right? We, I could sleep when I wanted, all these things I had in my life and now it's completely turned upside down. And we can feel really guilty about that, especially like you said, Julie, like, oh, I just need to get pregnant. Oh my God, I'm pregnant. All right, now we just have to get to 40 weeks and we made it. And then you're like, oh, life sometimes kind of sucks in that moment. And, <laughs> and then we feel kind of guilty about that. And so my job as a counselor is to normalize that, right? And to be like, you're not alone in feeling that way and it's okay to feel that way. I love that idea of the fourth trimester. Mm -hmm. I've never heard uh, that. No, and what would we feel like quads, the fourth quad? <laughs> <laughs> I love that idea. That's, that's part of that baby still developing and that mom's body still developing through the pregnancy. And so I love this idea of this fourth trimester. Um, can you talk more about 
that and kind of what happens there and and what you see? Mm -hmm. Yeah, so the fourth trimester is technically then, yeah, those three months following birth. Um, that's generally where we're going to see some of those postpartum depression or anxiety, those mood disorders as well. Um, so everyone, at least, and it's so good. I'm so glad that people um, know about postpartum depression and they were talking about postpartum depression, um, that it's more than just the baby blues. You know, if you are still feeling really sad and weepy, um, and really just low mood after two to three weeks of getting your baby, right? That's no longer the baby blues. Um, my mom always told me, oh, you're crying because you have baby blues. I was like, no, in my case, it was something more. Um, yeah. But postpartum anxiety is another one that is starting to get a bit more attention, which is really important. Um, those are all those anxious thoughts, right? Moms have, is baby sleeping all right? Is, or are they like, now I got to check to make sure they're always breathing. Are they eating enough for these intrusive thoughts of holding baby well, what if I fall down the stairs while I'm holding the baby are all these other crazy ways that harm could have could come to my baby um but then there's other things postpartum anxiety um OCD most people don't know that um that can spark in that fourth trimester uh, if you're really worried about cleanliness now, right, all of a sudden when you're already exhausted and taking care of a newborn, now all of a sudden you have to clean your kitchen nine or 10 times because it's not clean enough oh. and there's going to be germs and baby's going to get sick. Birth trauma is another one that people don't really understand. Um, and it's not as common. You, I mean, you obviously you have some traumatic births, right, where you automatically think like mom or baby's life was in danger. Mm -hmm. And that could lead to some PTSD, but there's also just moms who didn't feel heard or understood by their doctors during delivery. And then if there's just maybe a little complication that they had to go above and beyond for delivery, that's another huge predictor of birth trauma. Wow. And if it's not, and I know like, okay, so you give birth, right? And you're in the hospital and it's all about baby by then, right? Let's check baby all the tests and then you get discharged go home when does mom ever get to be able to talk about her experience like that was that was a big deal for me the last 24 48 hours like that was a huge event that happened to me and I was really scared at some point but we don't talk about that so then they have to kind of sit with that themselves and process that themselves while caring for a newborn and while being sleep deprived so that can be um, another concern and another thing to discuss. So really that fourth trimester, yeah, is really just learning how to be a parent, <laughs> um, navigating what it's like to care for a newborn and um, maybe dealing with some mood disorders or just a lot of hormonal shifts, recovering from giving birth. Yeah, I love what you said about uh, postpartum anxiety because I did not know that was a thing until I had it. Um, I, you know, and I, I think you're right. I think that most people, when you say postpartum depression, they kind of have a sense of, yep, that's a thing. I've heard of that, right? I know that that's a potential possibility. Um, but postpartum anxiety just swept me right off my feet. I had no idea what was going on. Um, and, and I didn't have a name for it. And I, and I had never been a mom before. So I just thought like, oh my gosh, is this motherhood? Like, this is horrible. Why do people do that? <laughs> uh, right? and so I said, oh my gosh, like, is this because it's a new experience and you're experiencing it 
um, with that child, with that pregnancy, there can be this idea of like, well, maybe this is just normal. Maybe this is just like everybody deals with this and I just don't know how, or I just am not equipped to deal with that. Right. Um, so I love that you're, you're out there telling people that no, these, these kinds of things where like I would sleep. So the first year of Monica's life, I slept on her floor in her room and she slept in her crib because I was so afraid of like holding her and letting her fall asleep on me. I would put her in the crib and then I would stand, I would stand on the crib, like leaning on the crib and put my hand on her so that I could make sure that she was breathing and she would fall asleep like that. And I would fall asleep like that. And at, at some point in the night, I would like crawl onto the floor, you know, and go to sleep. But those first three nights that she was home, I didn't sleep. And I did. I had all of those intrusive thoughts and I didn't have a name for it. I didn't have a word for it. I thought like, well, all moms worry, right? Like these are the kind of minimizations. I think that because I didn't have anybody to educate me on these things. And I think like, for people in this field, there's also this idea of like, well, I should have known that, right? I'm in this field. I should know about, but the, the DSM really doesn't, there isn't that section for that. Like there's nothing that says, hey, this, this is something. Now, is the DSM looking at putting some of these indicators in there? They really should. They um, really should. Really the only thing is major depressive symptom with perinatal or perinatal onset. That's the only thing in the DSM that I can really diagnose that uh -huh. even pregnancy. Uh-huh. Yeah. So when you when you are diagnosing um, and you're you're helping somebody to understand, like, hey, this sounds like postnatal OCD, maybe, right? Um, and they go, Oh my gosh, I didn't know that was a thing. And you go, Yeah, it is. It's it's the symptoms of OCD, um, but with that postnatal start is that what you would say that onset and i mean with especially the anxiety and depression that can start during pregnancy too if you don't even have to wait till postpartum mm -hmm. um and we can start seeing those symptoms before you even give birth so it's really important that you're talking with your ob as well you know that these are the things that are really coming up for me um that i'm experiencing is there anything we can do leading up to it because you make a really great point, Julie, too. Yeah, if you've never been a mom before, how are you supposed to know that this isn't normal, right? It's just like, well, this must be motherhood, right? Are all moms worry? And if I'm the one that's complaining about this, then maybe I'm just, I'm weak or I'm not doing it well enough. Like, this, everyone does it, right? And I tell a lot of my clients, like, motherhood is hard. Like, I'm not going to lie to you, right? Being a parent is hard. But it doesn't have to be that hard. Right. If any, if you're really struggling, right, there's no shame in talking to somebody about that. If do you want to teach your kids that too, right? That it's okay just to um, keep going. It's fine. You'll get over it, right? Or do you want to teach them to talk about your feelings and to express that you know some things are really hard, and I really need help. Yeah, and that it doesn't take away from the joyousness of adding a baby to your family if it's still also really hard and if you're also still need support like they're not it's not one or the other and I think sometimes we get into that like black and white thinking of like well if I admit that this is hard um or I admit that like I I can't sleep because I'm worrying so much about like what if I step on her like what if what if the cat 
bites her face at night. Like, okay, that's not going to happen with my cats, but what if it does, right? And so if, if we, um, I think we do get into that black and white thinking of like, if I say that though, if that's a thing and I acknowledge that that's a thing and I do something about that, like get myself some support, then what that means is that it takes away from this experience and this joyfulness that I have. And I don't want my daughter to think that she caused me this issue, right? And and I think that that does come from that dichotomous thinking of like, it's either one or the other. Um, and the truth is like, you're saying it's both. Like motherhood is hard. And a lot of times not non-motherhood is hard, right? And so like it, it's hard all around um, and kind of like you said, normalizing that, that like it doesn't take away from the positive, from the joy of it. Right, maybe seeking help, right? And having someone to talk to about it and getting that support can make parenthood that much more enjoyable, right? Cause mm -hmm. now you have the tools to cope with that stress, right? To regulate yourself and to be less stressed so that you can enjoy those moments. It takes a village, right, to raise a kid. And I feel like people do agree with that. Well, part of your village might be a counselor for myself, right? That I need that support so that I can care for my child. Yeah, I love that. I love that you talked too about moms not feeling heard, even through making their birth plan, even through, you know, going to the hospital or um, scheduling things. You know, I had an experience where I, I started out at the midwives um, and I, I really enjoyed that. I did group uh, appointments. So we went in, we took our own blood pressure, we, we listened to our own, uh, we found our own heartbeats, stuff like that. And then we had groups where we talked about like, how, how are we gonna do feeding and how do we want to do it? And I loved that because it wasn't just me and a doctor, um, it was me and six other expectant moms who some of them had other kids and some of them didn't. And, uh, and we were able to say in a supportive group atmosphere that like, this is what I'm thinking. And then there was some educational stuff along with that. Um, but I just thought it was really great to be able to have that hour a week to talk to other people about what we were doing. Because um, then when I got prenatal diabetes, um, they said, well, now you have to go to an OBGYN and you can't go to the midwives anymore. And so I kind of experienced both. Mm -hmm. And when I went to the OBGYN for those appointments, I was in and out, right? <laughs> they kind of did the checks and they were like, everything sounds good. See you next week. Um, and there was no discussion about what I wanted my birth plan to look like and what kind of music I wanted and like who could be in that room and when were they going to start kicking people out, um, you know, so I felt like with the midwives I had that in place and it was in writing like this is the person I'm going to tell when they need to start kicking people out of this room. <laughs> like if these, if people try to come into this room, other than these people, they're not allowed in. Um, and so I kind of, I was able to experience both where I felt like I did have a lot of input into what would happen. And then where I felt like I didn't have a lot of input. Um, and it really did make quite a bit of difference in the experience that I had. I bet that sounds great. I would have loved to have that experience, right? You're, cause you're right. The OBs and I mean, they're very busy. It's no fault of their own, but like, yeah, it's just like, okay, everything's good, healthy. All right. See you, you know, in your next appointment. Yeah. Um, I 
towards the end, it's like, okay, do you think you want an epidural or not? Like that was pretty much our question about birth. Um, or this is who you call if you think you're having contractions, right? Like that was pretty much the discussion. Yeah. And for a first time mom, that can be pretty terrifying. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And then you, you talk too about, you know, who do we get to talk about the, the birth experience, right? Uh, how do we, who do we get to talk to that? To about that because after we bring the baby home that's what people want to know about like everybody wants everybody wants to know are they sleeping for you are they eating like how are they oh they're so cute that's what people want to talk about and it is harder to find people who you can tell that story to and that you can really dig in and process into it um, because a counselor is never going to compare their birth story with your birth story um, and when you're telling a counselor, you're never going to have to feel like, uh, well, I don't want to talk too much about my birth and my child because maybe my friend is experiencing infertility, right? Or maybe my friend is, uh, had a different experience. Like I had a scheduled C-section and I actually loved that, but I have a really good friend who had an emergency C-section, not scheduled, and that was horrible, right? So it was a totally different experience. And so knowing these things about the people that I'm talking to just in my normal life, my normal circle, it limits sometimes what we can share about and how much we can share, right? Because I don't want to complain about my scheduled C-section to my friend who had an emergency one, right? Where things were really, really terrifying. So, um, and then I've got another friend who, like you said, has um, post-birth trauma, a really, really traumatic situation that happened. I don't want to talk about those things with her because one, there is that tendency for comparison in myself, right? Of like, okay, my situation, the thing that I need to talk about with it is nothing compared to what she went through, right? So then it, we invalidate ourselves. But when we talk to a counselor about it, they don't have that, right? We don't have to worry about that in that counseling setting. So I love that you talk about, you know, moms need to be heard and moms also need to be able to express themselves as still a person. Like I'm not just Monica's mom now, right? Like I am still a person. But when we bring that baby home, we, we sometimes can get into that identity of this child's mom or new mom identity. And I do like, yeah, what you said, Julie, like a counselor is not going to hear birth stories or um, say, well, oh, but people have it worse, right? And never invalidate your story because your story is your story and it is very important. And as your counselor, I wanna hear about it. Yeah, I love that. That's, that's excellent. And especially now with telehealth, new moms, you know, you don't have to go in. I mean, that is a real barrier. When you've got an infant, the idea of going into a session that's really hard. It takes forever to pack up the car. It takes forever to, you know, and then like, I was always scared to drive with her in the car because I had postpartum anxiety. So uh, the idea that, you know, I could be on the phone while I'm nursing or I could be, you know, on the hangout uh, or on Doxy Me and see my counselor while I'm at home, while I can see my baby is sleeping um, is a really great tool, I would imagine, for new moms and dads. Yeah, it's so nice to meet them at their own schedule. And then it's also, for me as a counselor, it's great to validate new moms who are so worried, like I can't do this or I don't know if I'm doing it right. And then I can be like, look how you just soothed that baby 
Right. Yeah. It's like a nice new benefit of telehealth. I actually get to see them interact with their babies and really, yeah, validate and um, what their strengths and how they are soothing and caring for their babies um, right there, like you said, in real time. And it's usually, yeah, moms invalidate themselves so easily, right? We are really good at saying, oh, I'm not doing enough, or I don't know what I'm doing, or I'm just so scared. And I can actually be like, well, I'm seeing right now, like, you got this, you're doing a great job. Um, and then kind of talking about like, well, so where are those feelings coming from? Why do you feel like you're being, you're inadequate when, from me as a bystander, right, that you're doing so well? Yeah, awesome. I love that because it's kind of irrefutable evidence. Like, it's one thing if you say to me, oh, I'm sure you're a great mom. Like, how do you know? You don't know. <laughs> but if you see me do something and you can say, nope, that's, that's exactly it. You're doing great. It's harder for me to dis diffuse that uh, in my own mind or invalidate my validation. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yep, examining the evidence. I do that a lot with my clients, right? I'm a big component of CBT, but so when you have the evidence right there in front of you, it's pretty powerful. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. So, um, so we talked about adding a new baby to a family. Let's talk a little bit about, is there like a pre- a pre-trimester, right, before the actual pregnancy. I mean, there's a lot that happens there, too. Um, and, and infertility, I will say, is definitely one of those things. Because, um, man, we were married for almost five years uh, when we got pregnant with Monica, and that was a really hard four years. I remember hating everybody who got pregnant. It had nothing to do with them. It had everything to do with me and what I was going through and uh, and feeling just jealous and also feeling like I couldn't have empathy for other moms or new moms or people who like even friends who were struggling with being moms. It was like I felt like such a disconnect from every mom or every person with kids and I remember like even being in Walmart or something and seeing a new mom and like instead of being like oh what a cute baby like oh how sweet I remember feeling like angry at that person um which is totally like they've done nothing wrong um but I just remember that such an intense feeling um during infertility of like just being so mad and we went to a party and it was a birthday party um, and then during the party, one of our friends announced that they were, they were pregnant with their second, and we had to leave. Like, I had to leave. I could not even say congratulations to that person. Um, so, yeah, tell us about, about that and, and working with people who are going through infertility, because what an isolating experience that, that was. It can be, yeah. Infertility is so hard. Um, and again, we're kind of talking about, you know, feeling like, oh, I, intuitively, I should be able to know how to be a mom. We feel like intuitively, like biologically, I should be able to get pregnant and have a full-term pregnancy. So there's a lot of like kind of what's going, what's wrong with me? Why can't I do this? Why am I struggling? And like mm -hmm. you said, it's very isolating because it's not something we generally talk about. Um, and that's definitely a personal choice. Maybe that isn't a topic you want to discuss with your friends and family, but we do kind of feel like it's a taboo subject, right? We don't go around just kind of sit like, oh yeah, I'm, in, I'm dealing with infertility and we're doing all these infertility treatments, right? 
Yeah. Um, so then, yeah, those pregnancy announcements become like a personal attack. It's like, oh my God, like, why would you do that to me? When in reality, they have no idea, but you are just in this world of hurt and pain and navigating this kind of alone. Do you and your partner, maybe a few close friends know you're going, or family members know you're going through this, but yeah, it's really, um, isolating and no one understands, right? Cause you feel like, yeah, everyone's getting pregnant. <laughs> I see them babies everywhere. It's just like this cruel joke that, um, I'm just kind of alone in. And so I think even, yeah, having a counselor there, right. For that, to just be that support person who's not going, who has no judgment, who's not a family member, um, or a friend kind of always asking like, when are you going to have a baby? Or have you guys thought about this, right? Oh yeah. Isn't that the worst? (laughs) (laughs) Oh my gosh. That's, that is, yeah. That was, I think some of the worst was like, gosh, you've been married for so long. When are you going to have kids? And we're like, we're trying. Okay, we're trying. Yeah. At the very least, it's none of anybody's business, right? What if you don't want to have children? And that's completely Mm -hmm. valid too. Yeah. You could just be kind of maybe offending people who don't want to have kids. And you could Mm -hmm. also really be hurting someone who is struggling and wants that positive pregnancy test, right? Um, So really, it's just not a question to ask. And even if it's well attended, right? Mm -hmm. It's just probably... That my daughter's reaching two years old, so my family thinks it's time to ask me when I'm having another one, right? It's just like, <laughs> it's a good boundary to set, like just not those yeah. questions. For the last two years, I would say we've been having that too, of people like, oh, when's, when's Monica going to have a little brother or sister? And we're like, nope. Like, I'll share with you. We had a vasectomy. Like, nope. Right? Like, that's not happening. And when you start talking about vasectomies, people kind of shut it down. Okay, yeah, we don't want to know. Like, oh, okay. Well, then, yes, that's not happening for real. Um, But yeah, I mean, even now, like, we still get asked that quite a bit, and it is, it is so hard um, to experience that that question, Uh, even for people who are not experiencing infertility or people who are just choosing like no I'm we're happy um you know we don't need to have a child in order to be happy um and we're we're enjoying married life things like that yeah so Julie like yeah those moments where another pregnancy announcement at a birthday party right like imagine then going to your counselor the next week and being able to express all those emotions and everything, that situation, how that was for you in a safe space where there was no judgment, right? To have that support. Yeah, absolutely. Um, It's so important to have that neutral person uh, to be able to express those things because some of the things, you know, we judge ourselves. So some of the things that I was thinking about that for like, and I know it, it makes no sense, right? Like legit, like, logically I would judge those thoughts too uh, and think like why am I judging this person for doing nothing wrong and then again we invalidate ourselves so having a counselor to be able to say like no that is a valid feeling that you're having that's a valid experience that you're having um, is just so important yeah and then um, okay so we talked about infertility we talked about adding babies in all different ways um but and so this month is actually infant uh, infant loss awareness month um and uh pregnancy loss awareness month so um what what kinds of um resources and supports do you recommend for people who have lost pregnancies and have lost infants 
Yeah, that's, um, that's a tough one, right? Um, I think we tend to isolate ourselves again with um, grief and loss and it's family members too and friends, they want to help, right? But they don't know what to say. That one's such a topic of like, I don't know what to do. This is awkward. I don't know how to help you. And so they maybe try to shy away or they're not giving you the appropriate help. Um, so having a place to go where you can just grieve, right? There's no right way to grieve. Um, however, that process is for you is that process for you. So to have that support to do that without feeling like, um, especially when you talk about maybe loss earlier in the gestation age, people are like, oh, just try again, right? Well, meaning things like it's fine. Uh-huh. Things people say. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, no, a loss is a loss, right? right? And you, that can be as devastating to you as you want it to be, right? That, that's a loss. Um, and you need that support no matter how that death, that loss came to be. Um, so really, and we tend to judge ourselves too. Like, is it, am I dwelling on this too much, right? Or when should I try again? Do, what if I don't want to try again? Is that okay? Or maybe I want to try again really quickly. And that's okay too, right? It's an individualized process. And maybe having, again, a third party, non-judgmental person being like, whatever you want to do is valid can be really helpful. Yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. And do you, do you typically recommend that if, if it's a couple that has lost an infant or has lost a pregnancy or a child, um, that, that they might want to seek counseling together? Um, or how do you see that uh, playing out in terms of relationships as well? Yeah, that's a big one too. And I think that's kind of individualized, right? Um, together would be great even if it's maybe one partner particularly wants services um to be in therapy then all on their own and to have their own space to grieve their own way but maybe bringing partner in for a few sessions right mm. to after i they've processed things with me for example or something and they've come to a bit more understanding of what they're actually going through then maybe it's going to be nice to have partner come in to share that right and to kind of express it um because sometimes we just don't know how to express what's really mm -hmm. going on. So once, you know, you do have that language to bring partner in. Other couples, maybe it's, we need to do this together the whole way. Like we're in this together. We need to, we're both in the same spot and we need that help. And that's great too. Um, maybe you start off as a couple and then realize maybe one person isn't feeling it or just wants to do something on their own. And then the other one stays. Um, I mean, those are all options too. And I don't think a lot of people realize that either, right? That um, we can really work with where you're at and you don't have to fit into some therapy mold. Yes. I love that. I love that you're saying that because the different types of therapy and counseling, they're, they're all a cart. Like it's not, you know, like you can order off the menu that's okay. Um, and I, I just, I love that the idea that like, you don't have to come in for couples 
counsel, you can, um, and couples counseling is great, but it can also be kind of this hybrid, right, of like, well, I need my own support, I want my own support, um, but I want my partner in sometimes to be a support for me, uh, and maybe I join their session, um, sometimes just to be a support for them, and maybe we also do some couple sessions together, right, so I, I just love that, um, that it is completely customized to what that person, what you need, and when you need it, because, you know, right away, you might want to have your own individual, but then you might go, okay, like, now that I'm in a place where I can start working on my relationship, too, um, then maybe the timing's right there, so I love that. It's all a card. It's, yeah. <laughs> it's off the menu. It's whatever you need. So if a friend or family member has lost a child or has lost a pregnancy, um, how can we best be supportive for that, for that person? I tell my clients this all the time, like, I'm totally comfortable with silence. You don't need to feel the need to fill it. Um, but we always feel like I need to say something. I need to say the right thing, right? And then it just becomes awkward or you say something probably not helpful. Um, a good question though is how can I help you, right? Um, putting that in now, the person who's struggling, they get to decide. And um, I know with grief work, we talk a lot about like, identify who in your family are gonna be the ones to help you do things, right? And then who are your doers? Who are your listeners? And who are maybe just kind of your respite people who are gonna distract you and help you um, enjoy certain things, right? Um, and so maybe they're doing that work and they've recognized that, yeah, you're my family member that you're just gonna listen to me, right? This is just, I just need you to listen or I really need you to clean my house or, you know, whatever it might be, but how can I help you is always a good question. I love that. Mm -hmm. Just putting, again, like giving the person who you're trying to help the opportunity to express how they would like to be helped uh, instead of riding in on your white horse and, and taking control of the situation and trying to help in the way that maybe you would want to be helped or that, that you think might be best. Yeah. And that's a good question for new moms too, right? With postpartum, like, how can I help you? Um, or even just like bringing over food and things like that, because moms tend to generally, oh, I don't need help, right? I'm fine. Uh, yeah, the idea of how can I help you instead of do you need help <laughs> is, is just a really helpful way of getting, getting a little bit over that idea of I don't need help, because if the option is do I ask you for help or not, I, I'm, I'm likely to not, uh, even though I do need help. Whereas uh, if the option is like, well, what do I need help with, <laughs> right? And giving options too. Um, I think for, for supporting anybody through anything, uh, giving options is so helpful, right? So like, can I bring you pizza or can I bring you Chinese food? <laughs> like, which one do you want, right? Um, is, is so much sometimes easier on the person that, uh, that we're trying to support than saying like, what do you want me to bring you food? <laughs> right? Right. Like, you're going to get a no thanks, but thanks for asking. Whereas uh -huh. like, okay, I'm bringing you food tomorrow. So like, what do you want? tell me what you want. <laughs> want? <laughs> it's totally different. Yeah. I'm at Starbucks right now. What is your <laughs> <Yeah>. order? <laughs> yes, <laughs> exactly. And if you don't tell me by this time, this is what you're getting. <laughs> right. 
Oh, that's great. Well, thank you so much, Erin. This has been really, really, uh, we hope really helpful to our listeners. And um, what I'm, I mean, I feel like I just had a therapy session. <laughs> we're, we're like, you know, Erin, you can tell that you're a counselor. You're so validating and you're so supportive and you're so open to all different ways of experiencing these different things that we go through um, and open to the idea that like no two people are going to experience it the same way and and that's good um, and that means that we can take that time to explore what it means for you specifically in this situation with this child um, so I just think that that's so helpful and I'm sure that a lot of people listening are going to want to call you up and <laughs> tell you all about their story and and what is going on with them yes yeah. thank you awesome so you guys you can reach out to Erin at uh, Heart and Solutions so if you are in the Cedar Rapids area you can see her in person but if you are in the state of Iowa you can talk to her on the phone or you can see her on DoxyMe which is kind of like Zoom so you get to see her she can see you um, but you can point your camera at the clean portion of your house <laughs> and she, she doesn't have to go exploring through the rest of it so uh, this, this is mine right there. <laughs> Net. Um, you can also find us on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash heart and solutions. Um, and you can give us a call at 800-531-4236. Um, make sure you tell Linda, you guys have heard Linda on the call. So make sure you tell Linda, hey, I heard this Erin team in person. I need to talk <laughs> to her about what is going on and she will get you connected directly with Erin. Okay, so if you heard anything in this call that you think you would like to have Erin listen to you about and support you through, give us a call um, and we'll get you set up with Erin. So Erin, uh, let's hear your sign off. So who are you and what do you need? <laughs> I'm Erin Tiemann and I need a counselor. Yeah, you do. Awesome. <laughs> awesome. Hey guys, we post on Sunday nights at five o'clock. Save up all of your laundry throughout the week. Do not dare do laundry throughout this week. Save that up for Sunday night. If you can listen to us uh, while you fold your laundry and put away all your socks and, uh, and we will be there for you for that. Um, if you're listening to this on Monday morning, give your counselor a call. If you don't have a counselor, give Erin a call. Uh, let's get you scheduled. Let's get you that support because um, you deserve it and you need a counselor. All right. And you can message us on Facebook if you want to send us questions. If you have questions for us, if you have questions for Erin, if you have questions that you want us to bring Erin back on to answer, or if you want to have us answer questions on other podcasts or you want to see other role plays, uh, let us know. Give us ideas. Like, what are questions you have about counseling? Um, you can send this to us on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash you need a counselor podcast. So follow us on there, but send us a message there too. That goes straight to both of our emails and we will get those questions. We can get them answered here on the podcast. Okay. I'm Krista Brown. And I'm Julie Johnson and we need a counselor. And so do you. Bye. Bye. Hey. What's up? <laughs> now just recording a podcast. Okay. What's up with oh, not too much. You know what though? What?
you need a counselor. Thanks, so do you. I do need a counselor. You're right. <laughs>